0: Hi there, and welcome to the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and thanks for joining us here again today. If you enjoy our podcast, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app, and don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Oftentimes on the podcast, I talk about the changes that are happening in the industry, and particularly the ever-evolving business models. In the United States, a salon suite or studio, as some people prefer to call it, has had a massive impact on hairdressing and how hairdressers work. And that model is influencing salons and business models in many countries now. The biggest operator of Salon Suites is Solar Salon Suites, and their very first suite operator was Kim Bennett. And so it's a real pleasure to have Kim as my guest today and to get a really good insight into how having a Salon Suite works from someone who's been doing it for the last 17-plus years. In today's podcast, we'll discuss the salon suite business model and how it works, who is and isn't suited to opening a salon suite or studio of their own, and what are the advantages and disadvantages, and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Kim. Hello,
1: Anthony. Thank you so much for having me. This is a real thrill for me. I'm a huge fan of your podcast.
0: Oh, fantastic. Kim, it's really nice to have you on the show. I know that uh, you know you've, you've got quite a... Uh, distinct sort of USP of what you are going to talk about today. And, and I know that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to get a lot of value from this. So, uh, you know, thank you for uh, for joining us here today. Um, I I always start every podcast by asking the guest to give themselves an introduction. So, you know, who is Kim Bennett? Give us your, you know, one minute, two minute max uh, backstory as to who you are.
1: Well, I am uh, Kim Bennett. I live in Denver, Colorado in the United States, and I have been a a stylist since I was about 18 years old. Uh, So I'm almost at 30 years now, and uh, I'm known for being one of the first people to open a salon suite model in the States. And uh, I have been in there, it'll be 17 years uh, this July.
0: Wow. 17 years as a suite owner. Fantastic. Yes, sir. All right. Well, um, yes, you are certainly known as being uh, the first or, or, or one of the very first uh, salon suite owners uh, or the first with Solar. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Um, right. It's uh, Solar Salon Studios and their corporation is based out of Denver where I live.
0: Right. OK. So um, when was that? That was 17 years ago. My God, that that's, you know, flowing by.
1: 2004, yes. And I uh, met the co-founders in a Starbucks and I was quite an ambitious young stylist and I had aspirations and dreams and I had a lot of questions for them. And I do have to commend them. Their answers were always like, whatever's best for you. And I remember on that day saying, wow, you guys can change an industry here with a different business model and sign me up. And they said.
0: so, (laughs) so, So let me just backtrack a bit. You've walked into a Starbucks to have a meeting with these guys or they were just in there having a meeting and you got talking to them and they said what they were doing.
1: Yes. I had set a meeting. I got their number uh, because they were talking about this business model. And also, it was in aligning with what I wanted to do, which was I wanted to be a salon owner, but I was also an educator for a brand. And I wanted to travel still and and not have to have employees, uh, which is typically what the business model looked like. Uh, traditionally. So that I I wanted to still be successful and, and be able to educate other salon owners and talk their talk. But I also didn't want um, a lot of operations to deal with and employees. So this seemed like the next step for me, which would be um, you know, finding out that it's a building that's that they lease out space um, that you is a turnkey approach, you can lock your own door and they provide uh, furniture, uh, which would be like your shampoo bowl and cabinetry. And um, then you could just open your own salon and, and uh, with a your first amount of lease uh, for the first week that you get started.
0: Okay, so so did the Salon suite model already exists at that point? Like, had you seen examples of it that other companies had going?
1: Uh, absolutely. I I wouldn't say other companies I had seen – Um, little takes on it. uh, But it was still somewhat of like a a -a rent-a-chair scenario, maybe just Mm -hmm. a little bit more private where your chair is. But they would still control all of like the brand choice and the product retail up front Mm -hmm. and all of that. So that's where I noticed that there was a little bit of a difference because I wanted to... Um, have the choices, which was, you know, carry whatever brand I wanted to and, and be able to retail and have a full advantage of that 100% of the profit, just like any salon owner. Mm. So, um, so I'd seen kind of the model, but it wasn't done exactly the same where I think Sola and the co-founders, Matt and Stratton, um, really took that freedom and choice and gave it all to the stylist. And then therefore, their inspiration was really just to create an environment for us to be our best artistic artistic selves, but also encourage them on taking advantage on what a business owner looked like as well.
0: Right. Okay. So um, uh, Matt and Stratton, the uh, co-founders, are they hairdressers?
1: No, they were not. Um, they were partners in another company years prior. I think it was a a trailer company or something for trailer homes. Okay, well. Um, but uh, Stratton Smith, he had uh, embarked in um owning a few locations of uh, beauty firsts, I believe. I don't know if they have those all over. Um, that, and what's
0: that a distributors or something? Is it all it, a it was kind
1: of like the first um the first model before there were like Ulta's
0: okay and Ulta's you know, again are, um, only american so yes. o- outside of america for people if you're trying to get your head around what does she mean by Ulta uh, think of Sephora it's like a big beauty store but maybe maybe Sephora is uh the middle to prestige end of the market and and maybe Ulta is um uh, I'm really hesitating to say middle to value end because they're more than that. They're But let's just say they're a bit like uh, Sephora and leave it yes. at that and everyone will get the idea. Yeah.
1: So okay. the idea was to shop, yeah. but you also had stylists in the back that were performing services. So it was like okay. a mini salon in the back. So yeah. I think what he did was, when he got out of that business model, he said, "Oof, I don't know if I want to be in the beauty industry anymore because you know how hard it is to own a salon and, yeah. and all of that. But it, I think it was a, um, if I remember right, uh, he had an acquaintance that said, hey, there's kind of this new model that people are talking about. You should look into it. And then that's mm-hmm. when he realized he wasn't going to be the boss of yeah. of these and, and or have employees he was just creating you know this uh, space for us to not worry about operations and the build out and the water heaters and the toilets and the bathroom and the lighting fixtures and the trash and we can just pay all of that in one lease agreement weekly and then everything that happens within those walls i'm the salon owner and i make all the choices so i think that's what intrigued him
0: Okay, so that's very interesting. Do they do they still own it now?
1: They do not. I believe it was in two thousand eighteen they sold um, right. to a private equity firm. Um, I know it wasn't an easy decision, uh, but they they were at a point where they were just growing so mm. fast. You know, they were averaging fifty to sixty locations a year opening. They're already at uh, they were at I don't know four hundred and almost four hundred fifty. They're at almost five hundred now, but uh, I think that they just were like, it's time to put it in the hands of people who can take it, you know, um, bigger. And yeah. uh, they were already in Canada and Brazil. So right. they're in a few okay. other
0: countries. So, mm-hmm. so they've got close to 500 locations. And with each within each of those locations, how many individual salons are there within each of those locations on average?
1: It really depends on uh, the each location. Uh, it could be anywhere from the smallest maybe being 25 studios to wow. I've seen some that have over 40 uh, okay. in some cities. So it really depends on the franchisee that um, you know, has uh, taken that location on. And uh, the location. So uh, the business model was Sola would help them, you know, as a franchisee that was getting into uh, the business uh, would go on location and help them, you know, choose specific locations in their area and the real estate and where that looked like.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Okay, so they've obviously had a nice payday. Lucky them. Um, <laughs> if you're, selling, if you're selling a business like that to private equity. Someone's made, uh, you know, someone's got a big smile on their face. Put it that way. Okay.
1: Yes, so <laughs> they're happy. <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm I'm intrigued by uh, you know the background of it and and how it happened, and it is so. Uh, you know, it's not my favorite business model as a hairdresser. Um, I personally wouldn't want to work in it. And as a client, I personally wouldn't want to be in it. Um, but, but I totally accept that it is right for some people. And I can see by the look on your face that you're, you're, you're needing me to explain. Um, well, I, I, when I go to a salon, uh, or a barber shop, I like the theater of it. I like to sit in a busy, bustling place. And I find that there's privacy in doing that you know that, that that you're one of many and there's lots of things going on around you and i enjoy the buzz and the energy i often compare it to a restaurant, and i, I it, it was sort of rammed home to me once when i went into a restaurant in um was actually in atlanta and i was taken there as uh, someone's guest and you know i knew it was difficult for them to get a booking at this restaurant because it was a you know very well-known restaurant in town and uh When I walked in the door, it was buzzing and I thought, wow, this is fantastic. You know, I'm going to have a great night here. And we walked through the restaurant. You know, it was a big restaurant. I don't know how many tables or how many people were in there, at least 100. And uh, as we were walking through, I was thinking, I wonder where we're going to sit, you know, sort of thing. And we got taken into a private room. And look, it was a beautiful restaurant and it was a beautiful private room and I was with lovely company. You know, there was like six of us and we went into this little private booth and they closed the doors. And I can just remember thinking, I don't want to be in here. I want to be out there in the restaurant. And that's the analogy to me in a salon, like as a client, uh, uh, as a client and as a hairdresser, I want to be where the action is. Um, so that's where my head is when I say it's not where I'd want to be as a client, um, because even though there's just you and one other person in there, that to me, you know, if you've got a color processing or whatever, it's just the two of you in there staring at the walls. Um, for me, for me, I I wouldn't, you know, enjoy that feeling of having to talk. I'd much rather read my magazine, and have a coffee and be invisible, you know, while you've gone off and done something else. But uh, you know, I'm digging myself a, a deep hole here. So I'm just going to back <laughs> right out of it. And I'm just going to say to you that, you know, that aside, I totally recognize that it is the right business model for some people. Uh, as hairdressers and that it is the right business model for some people as clients, that there are different strokes for different folks. And um, it, it, it's not, and there's advantages and disadvantages of every business model. Um, so I hope I've um, yeah, set us back on the path with, with, with that. No, with that I, comment.
1: I actually am really inspired by your comment because You know, again, it's been 17 years and I've stayed. So I find um, that it absolutely worked for me. But but I'd like to just say you kind of don't know what you don't know. And the the best way I can explain that is when I said, yes, sign me up. And we kind of pretended to sign something on a Starbucks napkin. That's our cute story. But they said, hey, do you want to go across the street? this is going to be our first location. We can show the building to you. We just signed a lease and they still had a six, like almost six month build out to do. Yeah. So you got to realize I saw it in my mind, but I did have no idea what it was going to look like. Yeah. And yeah. And so that's where people sometimes call me you know, courageous or a trailblazer or whatever. But it again, it aligned with my own dreams and what I wanted. Yeah. So that was more important to me. And so when we went across the street and they opened up this disgusting space, I don't know what was there before. And they got duct tape and they they measured out like a space. And they were like, this is about the size. This is what it's going to look like. And they were kind of explaining it. And I was like, wow, you know, this is incredible. This is even better than I thought. So then when I went back to my salon owner, who was my friend and still my friend to this day, Mm -hmm. I told her what what I wanted and she couldn't give that to me anymore. So she understood, but Mm -hmm. she was like, are you crazy? Like you're going to go work in a cubicle somewhere that doesn't make any sense because we were in this amazing hustle and bustle and wonderful salon, like you're explaining. And I was scared because I didn't know if my clients would love it as much as what I wanted. So yeah. again, there was risk and then reward with that. So I didn't know either. So when I, I embarked on this decision, I said, okay, if 51% of my clients like it and still keep coming back to me, I can build on that. That would be a successful number to me. Yeah. Yeah. And what was surprising was I was at a point in my career as a stylist, they really just wanted to be with me at that point. So again, like you said, it's not for everyone, but you'll know if you're at that time in your career that they want to be with you. And here's a good example. When I was in the hustle and bustle of a busy salon, they were training staff. They were, you know, doing everything very successful. They're still very successful to this day. But I would get interrupted a lot. You know, some of the employees didn't feel comfortable going to the salon owner for their questions. And I was this leader in the salon, which I loved being and an educator, but they would come up and interrupt me and ask questions about mixing color or, or I have this problem. Can you help me with it? And I was happy to do it. But what I realized when I finally went into my studio, that was gone. And 100% of my attention was back on my guest. So yeah. for me, I was easily distracted as a stylist because I was such a team member. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I loved the success of that salon. But I realized by going through it, like I said, you don't know until you know. My clients were just like absorbing me and wanting all that personal attention and that that um, time. And I was at a time in my life. And as a stylist, I wanted to slow down with each guest and I wanted to give them a better experience, but I couldn't do it and control this environment at the same time. So for me, I needed it to be Just them, just me, give them that experience. And that's what I built on and wanted to look at what my business model was going to be like. And it was all about them. So again, yes, are there days where it's just quiet, but now they know what to expect. So sometimes they bring their earphones and their laptop and they need to work and have their own quiet. So they appreciate that. So Mm -hmm. it kind of goes back to the old saying, you always attract guests and, and clientele. That's a lot like yourself, wouldn't you say?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. (laughs) So so you can only imagine what my client base was like.
1: (laughs) I bet they were fun.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, we'll we'll keep that for another time. Uh, So so there was another thing that you said at the beginning of this conversation. You said um, that you were an educator and you wanted to travel or you were traveling and you wanted to be able just to come and go as you pleased and to open and close the door and lock up your little business as you pleased. And you know this business unit of one, and and I totally get that. I, I can totally see that for someone in that situation, that a suite can be the perfect, you know, alternative. That it's it's it, they're your problem. If you've got clients booked in, that's your problem to move them. It's not the receptionist or the salon owners. Um, and and if you want to co-share the space with someone else, you do two or three days a week. They do two or three days a week, or or um, you know, however you want to work it. That it gives you. A base, a studio, a suite um, that that's yours that allows you the flexibility to do all these other things. Now, you know, I know you've got children, but I don't know if you had children at that point in time. But that's the other thing that happens is I think that you know a lot of young women have, you know, they start hairdressing in their early twenties or whatever. Um, and then mid twenties, late twenties, whatever, thirties. You know, they'll have a baby, and then they they want to step out of the workforce for X amount of time. It might be six weeks, it might be six months, it might be six years. But then there's a point where they want to get back into it, but they want to get back to into it on different terms. Do you know what I mean? Like they still want to drop off little Johnny at the school gate at nine o'clock, and they want to pick up little Johnny at three o'clock. You know, uh, and so they need a more flexible working model. So you know, there's a couple of examples, part-time educator, mum. Another example is those people that work a lot as editorial stylists, that they need a base to do their clients. But, you know, and from a salon owner's point of view, I used to have people who did that. And it was just a pain in the ass completely having to reorganize their column all the time because they were out on a shoot. So I can see why for for different types of hairdressers, the salon suite model is perfect for them. Does that, does that sort of fit with your thinking, those sort of examples I've given to some people?
1: Oh, absolutely. I feel like you were just describing me. <laughs> you know, I was young, and I was single when I started again, I was a traveling educator. I wanted to be able to you know lock up and everything's safe, and I can come back, and it's just how I had it, like I said. But then, you know, I got married, um and then I had a baby. so again, I evolved. And, and it evolved with me. And I was always grateful because I could shift and change my lifestyle. And it would align with my business lifestyle. So I could shift and change that as well. And with that personal relationship with your guests, because it's just you guys, they feel like they're kind of part of your business model. So they, they want to shift and change too, because their lives are like that. So mm. they get it, you know, we're all raising our kids together, and we're all getting married. And then um, what what's interesting is when my daughter went to kindergarten, I was able to shift and. And molded back to being at work more because she went to school. So, um, and that's when I became like a culture ambassador for Sola, and that's when I kind of embarked more on being a business coach in the salon suite model, and and I really dive deeper into what those opportunities look like. And and like you said, everybody wants more flexibility and their freedom is different for everyone and everybody's success is measured differently. So what might make you happy to your day-to-day might be different for me. So for example, like you said, these freelance artists, like you were having to change their, their days around, something like that would work perfectly because they wouldn't run amok in a, you know, for their boss or whatever. They're just kind of doing their own thing. Also, um, When I'm not in the salon, I like, I try to think of how to generate money when I'm not there. So I have really embarked the last, I'd say, five, six, eight years on uh, technology and embracing that. So I find that the salon suite owner is a little bit more savvy when it comes to like online booking. And um, like you said, there's no receptionist. So when they're doing everything themselves, they need some assistance. So mm-hmm. I've found like they are really embracing technology. I would probably say the first ones that went into the salon suite model after me, like say 15 years ago, they were still using a book and um, you know it was still working for them, but then technology really shifted when you say Anthony. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I believe that that independent salon mm-hmm. suite owner really embraced it probably quicker uh, than most.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's very interesting. What, what were some of the hurdles that you had to overcome as an early adopter? You know, (laughs) like you've gone in there, I'm assuming you're literally the first one in there, the first suite and, and, you know, most of them are empty. Uh, what what were some of the sort of challenges that maybe you weren't expecting that, you know, I can't think of what they might be, but what, what would, is there anything that stands out for you?
1: Absolutely. I was really worried about not having a receptionist. I had one my whole career. So, you know, what is that first impression going to look like? That was really important to me. And, and since it was new to me, I knew it would be new to all of my guests that were coming to see me. So it was very important to me to help guide them. When you come in through the door, you turn to the right, I'm down the hall on the left. You know, there's, there is a little bit of a challenge with that. I think that, um, you know people would wander when more stylists would come in and rent suites they their their customers were wandering around they didn't know where to find them you know so i think that that is probably the first most important thing is explain exactly what you are doing to your clients mm-hmm. and what it looks like so they know exactly how to find you and have that great experience to find you in there so i would probably say that was my first um challenge of like the reality of like okay this is what i decided and this is what it's going to look like um yeah. and then secondly was just really learning how to be a business owner mm-hmm. um that was probably when i started uh not watching as many uh, artistic videos and really dived into like you know your books and listening to other business coaches in the industry of what that looked like because we went in as a stylist mind. So again, you're not just renting a chair. Now you have these four walls that you can do anything you want with. And a good way I can explain that to people is other salon owners who have traditional salon scenarios. I said, well, do you own the building that your your?" Salon is in, and the majority of them don't own the actual building. They have leases agreements as well. And I said, Well, how many chairs do you have? And they Mm -hmm. would say 10 or 14 or 12 chairs or whatever. I said, Well, I just have two. So I'm no different than you. I sign a lease, I pay a lease agreement, and I have two chairs. And you have your business model is this. So you have employees to help. And that's where that business model shifted and where I needed to look at. What, how I was going to be successful in this two-chair salon where it's just me and I'm the only one that's providing the services and I'm the only one that can generate money for that. So I really took a step back and I changed what that business model looked like, where money was coming in and where it was going And then the last challenge I would probably say is, yeah, just being a business owner and doing your own taxes and all your own ordering and purchasing and booking and and Mm. keeping everyone happy and merchandising your product. And, you know, I wanted to be successful at all of that. So I really had to learn how to be a business owner and not just a stylist.
0: Yeah. So... I know in, uh, I I did an earlier podcast for people listening. If you want to check it out with a gentleman by the name of Eric Taylor from Salon Republic. Salon Republic is not solar, it's a totally different business. But from what I understand, in Salon Republic, there are always a receptionist at the front of, you know, as soon as someone comes in. Uh, And that's a receptionist for the whole, you know, business. Um, in solar, do they not have a receptionist? Is that why you said I have to go to the front door or something? So the front door is locked. There's an intercom, or whatever. They buzz you to mm-hmm. say I'm here. You go out and you greet them and escort them into your salon. Is that was that? Am I getting the right?
1: Yes and I would definitely yeah. say post covid the door is locked. Prior to that it was not. Um right. except you know at late hours for safety. But sure. um yeah. but but no, there was not a reception. So there are other um companies out there that do have somebody that they pay to have at the front desk to greet a customer mm. and that that could work for them. But yeah. again, another thing and you know that I learned, you know, uh, was some of my clients didn't really like the receptionist of where I was before. So again, it it kind of omitted this one person who gets to put that first impression on my guests when they're walking in to see me. So it has a 50-50 win or lose, you know, as opposed to using technology and sending a text prior of exactly where to go and and you know how to come in. I would probably jump a forward a little bit and say because of COVID-19. Our, our procedures in the United States were a little bit different. We locked the doors and people would have to text or call you to come oh, wow. in and sure. all salons were like that. So yeah, I man. was really grateful that I had already embraced the technology so I could send text message marketing uh out like weeks prior and said, this is exactly what it's going to look like. I'm reopening on this day. This is how you can book. This is, um, you know, it'll be locked. Uh, You can't bring another person with you. You need to wear a mask, you know. So I was able to communicate with everyone very quickly. So I was really grateful of that. To whereas I know other salons, the receptionists were just working 24 seven trying to get a hold of all the clients. So it was just kind of nice to use technology in that scenario as well.
0: Okay. Um, I've well, got so many questions for you. Uh <laughs> one of the one of the things I'm always intrigued about is the success rate. And I remember talking to someone I was actually in Houston and, and he was in a suite. Um and I asked him this question. I said, So, you know, and he'd been in there for seven years, not seventeen like you have. Uh, and I thought seven was a long, you know, it was a good amount of time. And I said, Wow, that's you know, impressive, seven years. And I, I asked him, I said, What percentage of people, you know, make it work like the sweet thing, because a lot of people are drawn to it because they think, you know, they're going to make all this money, and they have totally underestimate the reality of of what it's like working on your own, and that you're responsible for everything, and you know, tax and marketing and getting new clients and and all that sort of stuff. And so, obviously, a percentage of them fall away. In your experience, what would you say that percentage was?
1: Gosh, Anthony, I wish I had actually those stats, but I don't know if anyone's really studied that. I would I would probably say um, the percentage is still on the lower end, but it's usually when there's two different ways. Like you said, they think it's going to be great. And then they realize they don't, might not have an entrepreneurial spirit because mm-hmm. we all know to be an entrepreneur, you're working harder than anyone <laughs> and and to be successful. And, um, I do think that the model has made it easy and cheap to just be a stylist if you want and just go through the motions. So it might cater to what you said prior in the beginning of the podcast to that person who really doesn't want excitement or doesn't want, they just want to kind of go on their own and be alone with their guest. But there's also this other side to it where it's this risk free environment of looking at what you could be as a salon owner. So, it's interesting to me to see what 5 years from now what salon owners are going to look like because what I'm seeing as successful salon owners now um they started in a suite. And they were like, "Wow, I'm really good at this. I do my taxes, I do this, and now I'm ready to start recruiting people, you know, right out of uh, the beauty colleges or their, you know, wherever they go uh, and get their licensing and, and I can train them and I have this safe environment to do that. And then as I grow, then I can go and get this big space. Okay. And, so, you know, so. so, so outside, of the,
0: outside of the suite. So they go into a, yeah. you know, a freestanding, a bigger salon of their own. That's a commission based business or yeah. whatever. And and the suite is like a stepping stone into becoming a, a fully bona fide, Salon owner. Okay. Absolutely.
1: I would probably tell you, in my experience, at least at Sola, I mean, we pride ourselves on helping them be business owners. So it was Uh always hard to see anyone leave. But when I saw people leaving, that's what they were doing. They were actually on their way up and growing because Mm. maybe their dream was to actually be a salon owner of a traditional salon. They just didn't know how to do it. So they went to a suite first. And then they learned how to be a salon owner and still be a stylist and then realize, okay, I've got this working for me. And then they would grow. So okay. we've seen people leave different ways is what I'm yeah. saying. They, they yeah. might realize it's not for them and they want to go back um, or they want to go and open their own. Um, mm. And then, you know, a, a big, I'd say over half stay for sure. So right. retention. Okay.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, over mm-hmm. half. So, so the, the guy I was alluding to a minute ago, he, he said that he figured about 50%, wasn't based on any any data. It was mm-hmm. just he's got a suite and he sees people come and go. And he says, uh, he says I reckon about 50% of them don't last 12 to 18 months. Hmm. But they go in there, lots of enthusiasm, but, you know, Um, And that was just his based on his experience, whether that is, you know, true or whatever. I I have no idea, but that's what I'm trying to get a a feel for. But he he, he thought it was, you know, as high as 50 percent that don't stick around. They give it a go and then they either get out of the industry completely or maybe they do what you just said and they use it as a stepping stone for something bigger and better. Or maybe they go back into a traditional a traditional uh, salon model because they realize that, you know, there's no walk-ins, so to speak, that, that you know, they're no good on Instagram and they've got to do all their own marketing and yada, yada, yada. And, and you know, I had another young lady come to me in, in tears in, a, in the middle of a seminar I was doing uh, in the coffee break. And she said to me, you know, Anthony, 50% of what I generate is going just to pay my, my, my rent for the business. Um, and I'm talking to her about that should be 10% and she's in absolute tears. And as she said to me, she's not making any money. Uh, but but that was her fault because she wasn't producing enough money because she shouldn't have been in business on her own because she was mm-hmm. doing it for all the wrong reasons and, you know, needed to sort of think differently about, you know, what she expected from it. And there is a happy ending to that story because uh, she um, is now sharing that space with two other people. And oh. so, you know, she does two or three days and they do two or three days and and it works fine for everybody. So she's been able to, you know, spread that that cost out but i suppose that leads me into into the next question which was you know what are some of the reasons why you see being a suite owner isn't right for some people i think i've just touched on some of them but you know what would you say they were
1: if it isn't right well i again i would probably say embarking on being the business owner and taking advantage of that um I think a lot of people need to set up their own pricing. They need to set up their own systems. And I think that the way they go about it can be wrong sometimes because they're not looking at... Ah, uh, their profit and loss. They're actually looking at down the street how much are they charging? Okay, I'll just charge that because that's what the ongoing rate is. It's like no, mm. that's not. That's not how you should set up a business. You should yeah, set up a yeah. business because of how much rent you're paying and how much your costs for goods are and how much yeah. you need to make when you're providing this service. So again, that doesn't happen to the sweet lady that you were talking about. Mm. Also, you know, and and taking advantage of all of. The opportunities of being a salon owner. So for me, my business model, I let, I pay all of my rent with the retail costs that I sell. So Mm -hmm. I'm very motivated by that. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, so then that way, all of the service income is my, um, You know, my salary. (laughs) So, you know, and or you can, I've coached people on, you know, selling retail, and then that could be your kids' college fund, or that's what you use to pay your taxes with, or that's what you use, you know. So, really just looking at the best possible ways to generate the most income you can with the less work. Um, So, I would probably say you need to set up systems, uh, get some business coaches and find out what works in profit and loss. And then also, you know, look at how much that rent is. How much are you already currently making? And, you know, are your prices good with the amount of time you spend with each guest? Um, are you charging for all the upgrades that you do? I think that there's a slip when you're alone mm-hmm. with someone. You yeah. just automatically do it because it's just the two of you in there. You really do need to take ownership of being the professional mm. and charging for everything that you're doing as well.
0: Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, There's something I want to touch about with that there, and that is, you know, in in economics, and I don't pretend to be an economist in any shape or form here. All right, I just understand this general principle, and it's it's the principle of supply and demand, and 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 what it means is is that the greater the supply of a product or service, then the more that tends to push the price down, and people compete on price. So what I'm Wondering is in a salon suite business where you've got 20 or 30 different salons effectively, okay? Mm-hmm. They're, they're, well, they are no effectively about it. You've got 20, 30, 40, 50. And, and I know some of them, I know some of Eric's have got well over 100. I think he's got one that's got like 190, 195 different suites in it in one space, um, wow. uh, which is big, you know. So, so what I'm saying to you is, is that whether there's, you know, 195 or whether there's 20, that is still 20 salons side by side next to each other and so what I'm getting to here is is there a tendency for people to want to compete on price because they're comparing themselves to everyone else and they don't want to stick their head above the parapet and be the most expensive and so they're they're basically all collectively holding each other back what what are your what are your thoughts about that
1: I actually have to say that doesn't happen at all.
0: Okay. I haven't okay. seen
1: it happen. Be and the reason you would think that, and yeah. I think the best way I can explain it is it's your own business, so it's your own clientele. You know, I would never have interaction with their experience because the door is shut and all of that. So, so you know, for example, we had you know an esthetician, a nail tech, uh, someone that does mm. nails, um, a waxer in my building. Um and a couple of different massage, you know, therapists, right. things so like that. All so addresses, yeah, yes, yeah. and yeah. so I, you know, collectively, when I have a guest come, I actually give a tour of the whole building, and I point out oh, different oh, services right. that I yeah. don't provide, like yeah. my friend that does eyebrow waxing. She's the best, yeah. I think, ever. And yeah. I want all my clients to go to her because the more yeah. they get done in the building. So, you know, the more that creates longer retention for them to see me as well. Yeah. And so it's kind of a win-win where you have this camaraderie. It's not like that hustle and bustle, but we're all family and we help each other when we need it. But when that door is closed, you kind of know that that's private and you don't go in and interrupt. Mm. So I really don't know what the other people charge down. Okay. You know, I've okay. I've had my own business system of supply and demand like you said and that's mm. how i raise my prices i yep. i would be kind of curious <laughs> yeah, if yeah. i if we're around the same but but you also have to realize you know there could be someone doing hair extensions and that's all they do down the hall mm. and they're probably killing it making a ton yeah. of money uh yeah. you know so it it's interesting you would think that but we really are so separated that mm. we don't compete for the same clients and we are we don't really, you know, compete on pricing at all.
0: Right. Okay. Um, you know, it's sort of in line with that, what, what about walk-ins and stuff? Do you, I mean, because often people are in a traditional salon and they're, they're being fed walk-ins to sort of gradually build their book, um, you know, build their clientele. Uh, ha- do you get walk-ins in the average suite model? I know some people say, yes, we get walk-ins, but I suppose it very much depends on, you know the the location, et cetera, yes. where you are? what 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 are your comments about that?
1: I find that really depends on location. So the you know we've have locations that are right next to, say, a Starbucks or right next mm. to. Obviously, they're getting tons more walk-ins to whereas my location is more in suburbia. Uh, my clientele looks just like me, you know, a mom like in her 40s, covering gray hair, giving highlights, you know. Um, so I I didn't really need the walk-in scenario. So our location is just a little bit more quiet, I mm-hmm. would say. So again, it's really just that street cred, if that's where you put the location in. If you have um, stylists that are coming to you that that want to open a salon suite, like say if you were a salon suite owner and you were leasing to stylists, um, you know, if they're asking about walk-ins, they're probably not ready.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you sure. know, and, and if they are trying to get new clientele, they're usually using technology for it as opposed right. to uh, street uh, walk-ins.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll come to that in a minute. Uh, what, what do you miss about the traditional salon model? There must be some things you miss about it.
1: Well, of course, I mean, obviously, if I want to go and peek in the door down the hall, I can see someone doing a cool technique. I mean, I think that that's always inspiring to see, mm. um, you know, I do I did love that. I you know, they were like my sisters. I have best friends still to this day from working in a salon with them. Uh, and I think that that team feeling is is very important. Uh, for me i'm I'm a real connector, and I love people. <laughs> And so I was able to use the brand that I educated for and they're my family. So when mm-hmm. I would travel and do shows and so I found a different kind of team. So when I came home, I got to bring that excitement with me and my guests love that. Um, and I would learn that way. So I, I did look outside for education, inspiration and that team kind of camaraderie to feel like I belong to something also, I like to give kudos to the brand of Sola just because they really created that community feeling. And it wasn't just about being in your own space all by yourself. They they had parties and they would get us together and things like that as well.
0: Mm. Uh, do they provide education or not? They do. Um, education. Yeah.
1: They do. We um you know, I was involved with that. I, I, I was able to be the MC at our event. So we did uh, solo sessions and we had many famous people on stage and they, they were growing and getting a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. We had to cancel our last one due to COVID. So yeah. um, they're embarking on doing a virtual uh, session now uh, in May, I believe. Um, but they have webinars and podcasts and um, they have an app. So you can go on and all the brands are on there and you can watch digital videos, you know, at your mm-hmm. fingertips. So yeah. and, and and all the franchisees and managers within their own locations across the United States, they would they would do kind of their in-salon classes. They would sure. they would try to gather. So, yes, they they try to provide a lot of education, actually, because yeah. that's, okay. that's what was missing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah you know, you, you lose that. So you have to make sure you keep them connected to the industry.
0: Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, What about clients? What they miss about the traditional salon model? What would be the, what would be the, what would be the common thing that they miss or or isn't there anything?
1: You know, I, I don't know if they just wouldn't be honest with me. None of them Mm. told me anything, but when I told you that statistic, I was like, Oh, if 51% of the people follow me 17 years Mm. ago, I'll build on that, but not one didn't follow me. Mm-hmm. And I think that they were just surprised. They were like, wow, this is this is so different than anything I've ever felt before. And uh, it was, again, some people do it right and create this mm-hmm. amazing experience, which I like try to do myself. So I, they don't leave. That's what we all do in the salons. We want to make sure that our clients have an experience that they'll never forget, right? So then they yeah, never yeah, yeah. leave you. But um, I, I, I don't know. Not many people said to me like they they liked all the attention I was giving them, and and they. They never really said, oh, I miss going into that hustle and bustle, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I was catering to that kind of a guest. So yeah, I can't really yeah. speak for everyone that went to salon suites. Um, I do think, uh, you know, parking is always a thing. If you have good parking, that always yeah. seems to be a complaint with, with clientele, you know, yeah, just the yeah. simplest thing sometimes. Um and I would probably say the people who don't take advantage of recommending product and taking ownership of that professionalism, it can get lost really quickly. I mm. think that the sal- that's when they would probably lose clients more because they, they're left on their own to go shop for shampoo or whatever. They want to be taken care of. Mm. And um, But I think that happens in all kinds of salons. Either.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, and, and I know you are a big... Um, Paul Mitchell advocate educator, uh, and had been for for forever. I'm assuming. Um, but what that's what you've just touched on with the the retail thing is: do most of the sweet owners do they embrace retail as an opportunity to make more money, or do they? open up their suite and go, now, thank God, I no longer have <laughs> someone driving me mad about selling retail to clients. What, what what would be the sort of fair representation of that for most people?
1: I would say it stayed about the same. Uh, right. I think you said it exactly. Uh, you know, of course, as a coach, I try to encourage them to just like, let go of whatever experience they had before mm. and, and say, look, I'm a business owner now and I can have my own experience with recommending retail. But some, yeah, some just don't even wanna deal with it. They don't even wanna purchase it. They don't wanna mm. make the investment. They yeah. just don't want the hassle. Mm. Um, but then some see the benefit and they're just rolling in it, just selling so much product and all different kinds of product. Like some are selling extensions and some are developing their own brands within these four yeah. walls. and. Wow. And doing incredible things, so it's it's very impressive. But it's all over the board. But mm-hmm. I would say it's about the same percentage as regular stylists. Uh, there's that. Um, you know stigma or you know mm. taboo about it but um I actually in my success I told all my clients that my business model does well they want me to do well they like mm. that I talk about the product they they ask questions I have it in front of their face like Good. they yeah, yeah. they you know so so it was a different shift for me I wanted to make sure that they knew if they had any questions, I was there for them. I don't push it, but mm. I just kind of lead with my heart and it works for me. Sure. Um, but I do think in the salon suite model, it it could go either way.
0: Yeah. So I know you said, um, I know you said you, that I could ask you anything. Uh, so I'm yeah. going to ask you a question about money now, uh, which is, is relevant to where we're at with this, because you said that uh, you would try and pay the, rental cost for your suite each week with your retail sales mm-hmm. so what i'm asking you is um well you can cut it either way this question you can either say how much is the average cost to rent a suite or you can say how much retail do you do each week <laughs> they're both they're both gonna give me the answer i'm looking for so so what, what would the average person be up for for renting that space
1: well, I'm a little different because I grew into a double studio, so I pay a little bit more than the average person. So it depends on the demographic. They say the average is around two fifty to two eighty a week uh, for a small, you know, uh, standard studio size. Um, but say if you're in San Francisco or New York City or Los Angeles, you're going to pay a lot more than someone who's in a smaller town. And if that makes sense in in the United States, but, um, you know, for me, so my, that's why it was even more important to me because I, I'm paying double the, what the the normal person pays. So it, you know, it was close to $500 a week. So Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm working through almost 40,000, you know, a year of, of, of retail costs. So, um, you know cuz i i need to make that because i mm. have to purchase it as well cool, cool. so yeah. you know cuz it's about 50% markup right yeah. so um so you know my average cost for my double studio is around 20,000 a year so the average studio the smaller studio for just one person is um i'd say around you know 10 10,000 mm. a year so yeah. that's you know they They, it's a lot. It's not easy to do. But Mm. what I try to do is break it down to each day per guest. So Mm. for me, if somebody's purchasing eight to $12 from me each time they're in, I'm paying my rent. That's how I Mm. look at it. Cause if you look at that big number, it's like really, really scary. So I break it down to how many days per week I work and then how many hours by each day and then how much I need to make in retail
0: by day. That's, yeah. that's, that's a good, it's a good motivation to yeah. to talk retail and, you know, to talk about how to care for your hair when you're not in the salon. Okay. Um, right. Uh, so what else can I ask you about? I, I love uh, having permission to, you know, be able to ask these questions. Um, so you, you just mentioned a couple of times that you're a coach for other new Sweet owners to help them with the, you know, you're now running your own business. This is the sort of thing you've got to do. So, you obviously have some good insight into what their productivity levels are in a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you suggest the average sweet owner is is doing in total sales in a week? No, not retail, just in service sales. What, what are they doing? Are they doing 1,200, 1,500, 2,000? But, like, you know, what's, what's the number that you'd say would be a sort of a ballpark, you know, average?
1: Gosh, I really can't give you an average just because you have people who rent a suite and they can do two days or yeah. you have somebody who's like a diehard and they go seven days a week. You know, it's your own studio. So it's yeah. really hard to gauge. It's really more by how many. And and earlier you had said in the podcast, the gal who figured out a way for her suite to work better as yeah, she yeah. Divided up the time. So she probably wasn't working enough, yeah, you know, wasn't. to pay for that. So, so mm-hmm. you know, for me, um, you know, the, the expenses, I don't know if all the listeners go by like gross and net and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. But, you know, I was averaging about 120 a year and I was working like four days a week. And my prices are really average for the United States. I'm not on mm. the highest end and I'm not on the lowest end. Right. So I'm very priced well for my own market.
0: Right. So you said 120 grand a year in total mm-hmm. sales. Yeah. Yeah. And you also said about 40 grand a year in retail. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And mm-hmm. so, and so
1: but then you have the expense of buying the retail. So that's yes. knocked off. Okay, and then yes. I, you know, and then yeah. it's 20,000 for leasing my space. So, yeah. you know, I'm not bringing that all in. Yes, obviously. No,
0: exactly, exactly. And then there's well,
1: those taxes. Yeah,
0: Exactly. <laughs> well, you see, this is the thing where a lot of young hairdressers, I mean, I hear them say stuff to me. They go, my boss is taking 50% of what I do. And I just, to, you know, mm-hmm. to be honest, I see red because I sort of, I go, are you really that silly? Like Mm -hmm. Your boss isn't taking 50% of what you do. They're giving you 50% of what (laughs) you do. Do you know what I mean? And they just don't get it. They think that the boss is taking that 50% off everybody and they're, they're living on the hog and driving Ferraris and have holiday houses in Hawaii. And look, I'm sure the odd one does, but, but by and large, they just completely underestimate the reality of what's involved in running a business. And so, you know, a lot of them are, are seduced by the idea of a suite because they think I'm going to be able to keep all the money for myself. And yet they just have no idea of, of actually where that money goes, you know, because for some people, without a doubt, they are financially better off in a suite, without a doubt. But mm-hmm. there are other people that I think, without a doubt, are actually better off in a commission-based settlement. Um
1: I totally agree with that. I I love all models. I even like chain salons, you know, and if they pay by the hour. Like I think what's important is what their business model looks like and if it's working for them. That's yeah, the yeah. most important thing. So, yes, every model works great if it's successful and their systems are in place. So, Um, you know, to go back to that salon suite owner, what does it look like for you? And again, it's very important for me to set up your salon suite systems. You know, how are you drawing in clients? How are you keeping that going? How are you raising your prices? Do you have like a system on what that looks like when you're in demand? Because the way I look at it is you got to work hard to play hard. So... When I'm in there, I am got my business hat on and I don't look back. But then I do get to take three days off a week with my daughter. And mm. and I had major goals. I, I bought a house recently. Um, so that motivated me. So motivation is different. And mm. I think in a traditional salon model, you you might not be as self-motivated. You're looking to that owner to motivate you all the time and the Mm. owner to give you the education all the time. And so I think that there should be a little bit of a shift, you know, to, like you said, I'm not taking half your money. I'm giving you half because this is the environment that I created to motivate you in to be successful. And I think that that's such a valid point. And, And so the more you understand how each business model works the better off you are. I I've, I've met with stylists across the country that work at chain salons and they love being paid by the hour. They mm. were like it just makes mm. sense to me. I go in, these are the hours I work. I know exactly how much I'm going to make. I have fun and I go home. Yeah. So, that works for them. Yep. They don't yeah, really okay. have the ambition of wanting to see what the the idea is, you know, or what mm. what that risk would look like, you know. Yeah. They like the comfort
0: of that. Sure. So, sure okay um are, are most of them single operators or do they often share the suite with someone else like I'll do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you do Thursday, Friday, Saturday sort of thing you know how does how, what, what's the sort of general you know take on that
1: Yes, I I would say they do the price point for an individual smaller one. So it could be good for just one person, but they do have other sizes. So, mm-hmm. for example, I can speak for Sola. They have a large suite and you could share that with another person. So it's a little bit bigger. They might have like a color bar area, more cabinetry. So you could share and say, I, I'm i doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and you're doing Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Yeah. Um, Mine's a double studio. So... um you know, I could have two stylists working in there at the same time. Yeah. Uh, but for me, I like to double book and have more space and, you know, create like more opportunity of upgrades and things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But recently this after COVID to, to offset my prices, um, I have a friend that leases on the days that I'm not there Yeah. Uh, okay. a couple of days. And it, you know, it, it offset about $500 a week sure. for me. And, yeah. um, yeah or a month, I should say, excuse me, I didn't mean Mm. a week. Mm. And, um, you know, that kind of helped a little bit. And Mm. she's uh, in alliance with what my purpose is that's happening in my atmosphere. Mm. So she kind of prices her point the same and she carries the same line as I do.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Social media, how important is that as a component to being successful as a suite owner? because of the fact that you're probably not getting walk-ins, et cetera. Uh, so you've got to be, you're now in charge of your marketing. And, you know, I know hairdressers are great, uh, as a generalization, they're 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 very uh into Instagram and marketing their business that way. Um what what would your, you know, position be on that?
1: I think social media is huge in the salon suite. Entrepreneur mind. uh, I think we've seen it come a long way. I remember when Instagram first really started and I would sit in at hair shows and listen to panels of experts on social media, but they were kind of like falling into place. They didn't really have a system in place. And then it just kind of evolved into it. So as coaching you know i think things like yelp are big uh, having a great yelp account i don't know if they have that all over the world yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah and and you know getting great reviews that's big a lot of people do searching uh, they mm. google everything um so for example my online booking system i have through sola um, they can even go on and do automatic booking just as they're Googling a stylist, say, in a zip code. Uh, so really aligning yourself and leaning into the tools that are out there uh, mm-hmm. with these um, online booking companies. They have different programs and different ways to get found. Mm-hmm. And then as far as advertising on social media, really, you have to just kind of brand yourself and, and stay within that brand. So yeah. I, I, I think that that's really important. So for me, retail is important. So on my social media, you'll see a lot of like, um, this is what's on sale this week. This is what's new that I'm carrying. So, you know, social media can go any way for someone.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, you, uh, right back at the beginning of this podcast, you said how you were working in a traditional salon. Um, and I sort of want to go back to that. what, 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 what what basis were you employed by? Were you a a, a, a was it rented chair there or, you know, booth rental, as you call it? Or was it, were you an employee in a commission-based salon? What did that look like?
1: I started my career in a commission-based salon in a small mm. town that I grew up in. And then when I moved to Denver, it was 85% uh, rented chair is okay. how all the salons were. So that's where I was in a traditional, uh, and I rented a chair from her when okay. I, so I already had kind of the mindset of being an independent.
0: Yeah, yeah well, that's where I was leading to because, you know, the thing that that sort of, you know, upsets some people about the suite model is that they look at it and they go, okay, so you're not this person because you were already independent. So they were your clients. It was your yes. business. You were paying rent to be there. So you can just move across the road, take your business with you into a suite as opposed to it being renting a chair somewhere. And so I think everyone's cool with that. Everyone understands that. But the people that, you know, or one of the common objections, so I'm sort of speaking on behalf of them, so to speak, is that, you know, a stylist works in a salon that as an employee, commission-based. They a built up a client to, or they're fed clients they're fed walk-ins the salon's marketing the salon's training yada yada and then one day they're fully booked and they're busy and they go well he or she is taking 50% of what i do um i'm going to leave and take all my clients with me um, and go across the road and open a suite so and that becomes the challenge that becomes mm-hmm. the you know the 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 sort of sticking point about why this doesn't work because the salon is taking all the risk. They're building them up. They're feeding them clients. They're training them. And then once they become successful, then they leave and take all the business with them. And it's that age-old fight about you know whose client is it, who owns the client, having restrictive trade contracts, all that sort of stuff. Um, talk to us about that. And I know that's not even a direct question. I'm sort of just trying to get your take on on how does that work? Because that and the next bit that I'm going to ask you is, and you'll probably merge them into one if I give you the next question now. So actually, I'm not going to give you the next question because you will merge it into and It is a very separate question. So, so okay. talk to us about what I just said.
1: Well, I do think that has been the age old challenge. I think before there were salon suites, it was still already happening. They would leave for whatever reason and try to take their clients to the salon down the street. So this is just a different brick and mortar of where they're going to go and what they're going to do. I think it's easy for a salon owner to say, Oh, well, let's blame it on the salon suite. But there were walkouts way before that. I remember growing up and hearing about it. So I don't see that being any different. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if people choose to do dirty, they're going to do dirty, you know, or they could do it in a way that's respectful. Like the way I did, I was already independent. So when I left, like you said, you know, I, I didn't go to a salon down the street. I didn't go to a competitor. I just went to do my own thing. Um, You know, every situation is completely different. So I'm finding, and this might be the segue to you're talking about, you know, we're learning that, these stylists are craving the freedom. They're craving mm. the flexibility. They're craving the idea that they can make more money. So maybe when they get to that level, I'm seeing traditional salons mold. And I, I believe you just had a podcast about that into you know, what does that look like for these, you know, salons to be somewhat changing? Like, do they have a different avenue? So if they get to that level, and not take all the clients you know do you have another opportunity for them to go into a more flexible role because they want to be a mom or because they mm. you know want to be home three days a week or whatever so everyone's motivation is different why they leave and mm. i think that is actually more of the key point as opposed to after they leave what does it look like
0: okay okay well no that wasn't the segue the segue was who's training the next generation now when i ask that question i'm very aware that the united states has a different model to the uk europe australia because you you all have to go to a beauty school you don't have essentially i know one or two states do i know georgia for example you can do an apprenticeship but The majority of hairdressers in the United States have to go to a beauty school and then they come out the other end of it as a licensed hairdresser. And Then to whatever degree, they will go straight on the floor doing clients or they might go on the floor somewhere as an assistant and build up. In a suite business who's training the next generation because it is a business unit of one. It's like, it's all about me. It's not about bringing on other people and training and educating them. Whereas in a commission-based salon, you know, there's always that opportunity to to have assistants, to have whether they're called apprentices or assistants or trainees or, you know, whatever you're going to call them. Just talk to us about that. And then we have to wrap up because we've ran out of time, unfortunately.
1: Well, from my experience, I see it's all back to the entrepreneur. I think that they are the ones that invest in their own education and their own interests. Uh, A great experience, I could say, is like the BTC show. Um, It's hugely independents that go to that. Uh, When you go to hair shows and you see people in the first three rows... A lot of them are independents because they're so thirsty for that education. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And then digital, I think they're really taking on, on technology. A lot of brands have so much out there for them to learn and get certified and have certifications on their wall on whatever techniques that they're doing or services. So that's how I see them educating themselves. I do believe that traditional salons still need to be around, they still need to, you know, be the best coaches. It's just they need to also figure out the business model to, you know, keep that going. But on that note, I, I don't know what the statistics are maybe you could answer that but you know were stylists staying 20 years 25 years with somebody before there were salon suites I really don't know
0: mm. I you some know but do. some do some yeah. have I mean the reality is the average person in this industry is only in it for 7 years you know, so, uh, exactly. I, I mean, there are people I know who've worked for the same salon for 40 plus years. Um, it, it's That's not me, but I sort of respect the fact that that's what they've chosen to do and that that's worked for them and worked for the business. But, but Kim, I could keep on going. There's there's so much information you've you've got to share, and you've given us some really you know great um, insights to reflect on. And you've obviously been asked a lot of these questions before, and you've got great answers to
1: them. <laughs> well, thank uh, you for that.
0: <laughs> so, um, wh- whereabouts can people connect with you on Instagram or other social media channels?
1: On Instagram, I'm Kimmy Kisses. It's K-I-M-I underscore kisses. And that would be probably the quickest way to find me. I'm Kim Bennett on Facebook. Uh, and I'm happy to you know talk to anybody about my journey and if I can help anyone out with anything.
0: Cool, fantastic. Well, um, I'll put those links uh, on our website, growmysalonbusiness.com and the show notes for today's podcast. And if you're listening to this podcast with Kim and you've enjoyed it, then please go to Apple Podcasts and search for Grow My Salon Business, scroll to the bottom of the page and leave us a rating and review. We'd really appreciate that because it helps uh, other people find us as well. So to wrap up, Kim Bennett, thank you very much for being on the Grow My Salon Business podcast.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me, Anthony. And thank you for helping me grow my salon business all these years.
0: (laughs) Uh, Thank you. What a nice compliment to end on. I really appreciate that. Thank you.